We're going to be in Acts chapter 9 tonight. Acts chapter 9. You ever been wrong about something? Right? How many times? Uh, <laughs> um, I always thought that I would like it whenever I started being right about things, but I found that whenever I am right about things, I usually wish I wasn't right about things. Um, but I remember specifically a time whenever Jenna and I had just gotten married, and uh, we'd been married for less than a year, and we had decided to kind of motivate each other to take care of ourselves, and we decided we're going to start flossing. And so every night, we're going to get out our floss, and we're going to be flossing our teeth and doing a good job at that. Uh, and one night, for some reason, we were really tired. I think we were getting in late, and I was like, I got to floss my teeth, and it was dark in the, ba- in the bathroom, and I just opened up the drawer, and I couldn't find my floss anywhere. Jenna, what'd you do with my floss? And just getting really irritated for no, no good reason. I mean, I assumed that she had moved it because as you get married, you start to realize that stuff's not always where you leave it, Right. Um, and uh, so I was looking throughout the drawer. I couldn't find it anywhere. I started looking other places, couldn't find it anywhere. She was in another part of the house, couldn't hear me, so I'm yelling, where's my floss? Where's my floss? I didn't move your floss. What are you talking about? I turn on the light, and there's my floss, right where it's supposed to be. I just didn't see it. Um, that's one of many times that I've been completely wrong and gotten angry for absolutely no reason. Um, I'm, I'm getting better. I've gotten better. Uh, but, man, those first few years, I was, I was learning a lot. Uh, but we've all, we've all had that moment, right, where we've been angry about something, upset about something, and then all of a sudden somebody says, I haven't touched it, and it's just like you're in this weight. Have I really looked hard? You know, <laughs> all, this, all of a sudden you're in this kind of confused state where what they've just told you doesn't line up with the reality or the assumptions that you've made, and you're, you're kind of stuck like in this awkward sense of shame, like, please, floss, do not be <laughs> where you're supposed to be right now uh, because it's just humiliating and embarrassing, right? We've all been through that, and... and Tonight we're going to study a a situation that's very similar to that uh, as we study about a man by the name of Saul, a man who we have all come to know as Paul throughout the New Testament. Uh, He's also called Paul. It it doesn't really say that his conversion resulted in the change of his name to Paul, though I've I've thought that at one time in my life. Uh, But this man's name was Saul, and he was also called Paul. And we read a little bit about him back in Acts chapter 7 as uh, he was the man who they laid their garments before uh, while Stephen was being stoned. And that's, that says something about the man named Saul, that he was a, uh, a leader in that whole scenario in the stoning of Stephen, uh, that he was one who they respected and whom they trusted to lay their garments at his feet, that he would be one who would watch over those things, and that he had some kind of a role in all of that happening. When we come to Acts chapter 9, verse 1, it says, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound 
to Jerusalem. We've studied Acts and we know that the disciples have been spread out and scattered as a result of the persecution that was going on. And Saul was at the heart of the persecution that was going on in Jerusalem. And it, it tells us he was breathing threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord. And now we read that the disciples have spread out and scattered and had gone up to a region called Damascus, just north of Jerusalem. It would have been a very heavily populated city. Uh, and he goes up, he wants to go up there in order to capture those who belong to the way, those who are disciples of Christ, both men and women, and he, he wants to bring them back bound to Jerusalem so that he can condemn them as he has condemned many others in the church uh, throughout Jerusalem. So Saul seems to be a man who is, is just constantly seeking to destroy and to take away all of those who preach Christ because... They're false teachers in his eyes, right? He is fully convinced that these men and women are leading the brethren away from God and from the ways that God has desired uh, for the Jews to live. And while he's on his way there, uh, it says in verse 3, he went on his way, he, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. So Saul's just working his way to Damascus. He's got these letters from the high priest giving him all this power and authority to throw men and women into prison who have, who have gone after Jesus. And a light shines around him, and, and those who were around him did not really understand what was happening at the time. But the light shines around him, and then this voice comes out from the light saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul's like, well, I persecuted a lot of people, right? I mean, Saul's been persecuting lots of people. And, and he's wondering, who is this? Who are you, Lord? And Jesus says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. As Jesus says these words, it's interesting that he says them, right? He doesn't say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting my disciples? Which is what Saul's really doing. But he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? As Saul is persecuting and attacking the members of Christ's body, of the church, Jesus himself is receiving the persecution. He is feeling it on himself. And he's wondering, why are you doing this, Saul? And then he, he tells him to rise up and go into the city until you're told what you must do. We continue reading. We see the men who were traveling with him stood speechless. Hearing the voice, but seeing no one. And Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Can you imagine being Saul and going through this experience? 
You're on your way to Damascus and you're, you're feeling pretty good about yourself, right? You're squashing the rebellion against God. You're, you're taking out all of those who speak about this Jesus, this blasphemer, as though he's the Messiah. And then Jesus himself appears in, in this bright light and says, why are you persecuting me? And now all of a sudden, Saul is left confused. You wonder what Saul is thinking as he sits there in Damascus after being led there because he can't see. For three days, he was without sight and he's not eating, he's not drinking. Don't you wonder what he's thinking? Everything he has worked so hard for was a lie. He was completely and utterly wrong. (laughs) about his belief that Jesus was a false teacher. He had devoted himself to, to eradicating those who follow Jesus, and now here he sits as one who knows that Jesus is resurrected from the dead, that Jesus is the Messiah, something Saul would have desired and, and loved to know, but at the same time would have feared realizing, because that means... He's done some awful, awful things. And that means that he has sinned against the one who has come to judge, to judge everyone. He put all his eggs in the basket that Jesus was not the Messiah. And in one one event, Jesus crushed them. While Saul's waiting, we read in verse 10 that Jesus is going to speak to a man by the name of Ananias. Not Ananias and Sapphira, right? That didn't turn out well. That guy died. Now there's a new Ananias who's in Damascus. And it says, there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold... He is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in, come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Now, Jesus goes to Ananias in this case and tells Ananias, you must go to Saul of Tarsus who is praying on this street in this man Judas' house, and you must lay your hands on him and heal him because I gave him a vision saying that that's exactly what you are going to do. And Ananias hears this and answers, Lord, I've heard about this man, how much evil he's done in your, in, to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has the authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. Ananias hears about Saul. He knows who Saul is. Remember, all the disciples were in Jerusalem as Saul started his work. And they know Saul. Saul is known, well known by the disciples. And Ananias is just a little bit scared about that. <laughs> you, you don't, it doesn't say he's scared. But as he says this, you can feel in him that there is a questioning, a confusion, like, What is this, Lord? What are you trying to do? This is the man who has come to Damascus to carry us back to Jerusalem so that we can be tried. I know what he's done to people who follow you. 
And Jesus explains himself. In verse 15 and 16, it says, The Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Jesus lays out for him his plan. He doesn't hide it or conceal it. He didn't reveal all this to Saul at the time, but now we see that Jesus has a plan for Saul. Jesus is not seeking to destroy Saul, but he's seeking to heal Saul and make him, it says, a chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. That's fascinating. Ananias is probably had, that was not on his radar, right? That is not something that Ananias is expecting to happen, but he obeys. And, and notice how he, he answered when God called. He said, here I am, Lord. Ananias is like Abraham, right? This is a picture of what Abraham says. Whenever God says, Abraham, he says, here I am, Lord. What do you need me to do? I'm here. I'm ready, you know. And then he hears this, and he's kind of scared. He's kind of confused. And he understands the purpose of God. And it says in verse 17, Ananias departed and entered the house. He was willing to go to Saul. And it says, laying hands on him, he said to him, Brother Saul, the Lord, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. Ananias goes to this man, he even calls him, he says, Brother Saul is probably a reference to the fact that this is a fellow Israelite. He says, Jesus has told me to come to you, and he has sent me so that you can regain your sight. As soon as uh, that, he, he touches the man, the scales fall off. And, and what do you think would happen after three days of, of not eating and sitting there wondering about what Jesus has in store for him, what Jesus wants him to do? What do you think Saul was sitting there wondering and thinking and, and kind of planning when all of a sudden this man comes in just like the vision says, he lays hands on him and he receives sight? What's the, what's, what is it that he wants to do? If it was you, what would you want to do? Maybe hug Ananias. Maybe ask him a lot of questions, right? What, what is this? What is going on? Maybe get some food. Maybe <laughs> throw a feast. Well, what it says is he rose and was baptized. That was the first thing he wanted to do. And then he took food and was strengthened. First thing he did, he rose and was baptized. If you've been studying through Acts with us the whole time, you've seen this as the theme. Back in Acts 2, they asked, men and brethren, what shall we do? He said, repent, and every one of you be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we also learned about uh, many after that being baptized. We learned about the Ethiopian eunuch in the last chapter being baptized. Baptism was, was what the Samaritans did. It was si what Simon the sorcerer did. Throughout this, we've seen a theme that everyone is getting baptized. And in fact, in this, in the, on this occasion, we see Paul or Saul getting baptized. And if you read in Acts 22, verse 16, he's recounting this situation. And the words coming out of Ananias' mouth are, Why do you wait 
Arise and be baptized, washing away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Baptism is what God expected everyone to do in order to have their sins washed away, in order to call on the name of the Lord. It was a sign of submission that you have submitted to God. You're ready to be transformed, to be healed, to be renewed. And that's what Saul submitted to. And then he ate. And then he was strengthened. Well, after that, we read that Saul went to the synagogues in Damascus, where I'm sure he was expecting to be received, as he probably was at first. And those who were there in Damascus, who were Jews of the synagogues, heard Saul proclaim all that Jesus had done. And the fact that Jesus is the Lord, that Jesus is the Messiah. Can you imagine that? Knowing that Saul's coming in order to get rid of these who are of the way and then hearing him proclaim that Jesus is the Lord. And they were all really confused. Verse uh, 19, and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples in Damascus. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem and those who call upon his name? And has he not come here for the purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul all the more, Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by, by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Notice here that that Saul is speaking about Jesus and explaining Jesus to them, and they're just amazed, right? They have no idea what is going on. Here is the star of squashing the rebellion, now joining the other side and proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. The text tells us that the Jews were confounded, and that's the word that I titled this sermon as, Confounded is an interesting word. As I was thinking about that word, I was like, what is that? What is that? Why, is, why didn't it just say they were confused? I mean, that would be a, a more clear uh, rendition of that. But confound means mixed up, stirred up. Uh, it's, it's, it's like adding ingredients together and then mixing it all up so that you can't really tell the difference. So it's kind of like not knowing up from down, like all of a sudden everything is really odd. And it's that situation that I just described about uh, Jenna saying, I haven't touched the flaws. There's that situation where it's like the reality you thought was true is kind of muddy now. (laughs) What you thought was absolute is not so absolute anymore. And so some of these Jews may have been convinced by the fact that Saul is now proclaiming Jesus as the Son of God, but we learn not many, or not all. It says in verse 23, When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him, but the disciples took him by day and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. So Saul is... is preaching and teaching there, and then they decide to kill him. So they're, they're confused, but they basically decide, no, you move the floss. 
instead of looking and seeing that it's exactly as uh, Saul had said it is. After this, we learn in Galatians that Saul goes on a trip into the desert for about three years in Arabia. Uh, and then after that, it, it, it tells us here he came to Jerusalem. And verse 26, when he came to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And it says, they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how the road, how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the, church, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. So we read here at the, the end of this section that the disciples, as he comes to Jerusalem, don't believe that Saul has really believed and been transformed. Can you imagine being in Jerusalem uh, at the time of the persecution, hiding out because they're coming to find you and kill you. Uh, they pulled people that you know and love out of their homes and thrown them in prison and maybe crucified them. And Saul is the one who is behind it all. And here, a few years later, he comes in claiming to be a baptized believer. Again, they have a reality that they know and they're confounded. They're all mixed up. Can, can Saul really be a disciple of Christ now? Is that, is that even possible for someone who is so evil and so on the opposite side to now be a disciple who is proclaiming Christ? And I love how we read Barnabas takes him before the apostles and he explains Saul is on our side. He saw this light and he knows Jesus and now he is preaching and proclaiming the truth about Jesus. He did it in Damascus and he's doing it, he's wanting to do it here. And we see he does it here. The apostles, uh, they, they allow him, they give him the right hand of fellowship, so to speak, and he is preaching in Jerusalem and the result is the Jews there want to kill him. They also are confounded, but apparently not by much, and they end up desiring to kill him. So the one who is the persecutor becomes persecuted. What do we learn from this conversion? Uh, you ever heard that phrase, God works in mysterious ways? Heard that, right? Well, I think this is kind of ex explaining that to us a little bit. And sometimes the way that, that God has in mind is not the way that we have in mind, right? Saul doesn't know what's happening on the road. He's completely confused. What are you doing, Jesus? And, and he's spending time in prayer, and he's not eating, and he's just wondering, what are you doing? You know, if, if Jesus is the Messiah, he's supposed to come in and destroy his enemies, not convert them not bring them on the other side. Ananias as well is, is completely confused by this. Jesus has blinded Saul, the enemy of the church. Why do you want him to have sight again? 
It's great. You've got him blinded. You've got him right where you want him. Now it's time. Just go ahead and wipe him out. Destroy him. Humiliate him. But that's not the way Jesus acts. That's not God's ways. God's ways are mysterious to us because we don't have that same kind of mercy and grace that he's showing here. We can't see and understand the heart of the person who seems to be such an enemy to Christ, an enemy to us. We don't know the internal workings and, and all that's happening. And, and also we see here that Jews have no idea what's going on. And they make a bad choice, right? They, they choose to go against the truth. Uh, and the disciples are confused. They don't know what's happening. All of this points to the fact that God works in ways that we don't grasp or understand. And we have to get outside of our little box and our little way of thinking about people and, and our prejudgments about what's going to happen to someone in the future based on everything that's happened in the past. And recognize that Jesus is able to make big things happen when we don't think there's any chance that that will ever happen. In this situation, Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly who he is converting, who he is bringing in to make a chosen instrument of him. Listen to what Saul says about his conversion in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. Saul says, or Paul says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life, to the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This man was completely transformed on the road to Damascus because of the grace that God wanted to offer him. So as we study this, I hope we understand that Jesus is exactly who this, this story shows him to be. Jesus is not someone who is excited about destroying his enemies. He is excited about transforming them into his choice in instruments. So as we look out into the world and we see people who have made themselves stubborn and insolent and, and rebellious against God, maybe they're beyond hope. Or maybe God wants to humble them. Maybe God wants to show his perfect patience toward them and then lift them up so that they could uh, in humiliation <laughs> explain how foolish and ignorant they were and how wonderful and righteous and, and, and glorifying 
God is. I think a lot of times as we, as we read this, we're faced with the, the, the truth that we struggle. As we look out into the world, we struggle to believe that someone so evil could really change and repent and be so good. I would struggle if someone had come into this church building and shot people. We've, we've had that happen uh, in, in our country in the last you know, five, six years. I would struggle to think that that person has completely been transformed by the gospel. Now, there's a story about a man named Jeffrey Dahmer uh, who was very evil, did some horrible, despicable things as a serial killer. And there's a story about a, a man from the Lord's Church going and teaching him in the prisons and then finding a way to get him baptized and him trying to teach and, and help people understand who Jesus is before being murdered. You know, we, we would struggle to believe that that's even possible. And maybe some of you here uh, don't think that he was really saved. I don't know. But we have to understand that our God is more gracious than we are. More merciful, more patient, more loving, more willing to accept repentance. And that's, that's wonderful news. That's wonderful news. Because that means all of us can accept Jesus and receive grace. There's none of us who are beyond reach. I don't care how self-righteous that we've been. I don't care how, uh, how evil and wicked and, and corrupted and immoral we've been. The blood of Jesus is able to wipe away all sins. If we will turn back to him and submit as he's called us to do. So I hope that that message encourages you. As you think about yourself and all of your sins and, and all of your shortcomings... I hope you realize that the blood of Jesus is greater than any of that, all of that. And it's able to provide forgiveness. As, as Saul said, if he was willing to forgive me, then everybody should know that he's willing to forgive them. If you're here tonight and you've done some horrible, horrible things, you can make a change. You're not defined by what you've been, and you can be transformed to be a follower of Christ, and you can glorify his name. And we want to help you in any way we can. Please come as we stand and as we sing.